All right, we are live with the Investor Thrive uh, Painless Wholesaling Podcast, where my goal is to make investing in real estate as painless as possible, because we all know that if you don't know what you're doing in real estate, it can be pretty painful, right? You can have some ups and downs. So I have Gino on here with me, and you know he, he's been investing for a while. He's got some awesome stories. He's a great guy to work with. So I'm, I'm glad to have you on here. Gino, how you doing? Nathan, I'm doing great. And uh, last name is really appropriate because hopefully we can bring some pain today. Yes, and yes. <laughs> Let's bring the pain. That analogy is, I think, really for life, isn't it? If we don't know what we're doing, if we don't educate ourselves, if we don't take the time to get clear on what we want to achieve, then we're going to have a lot of pain. But if you sit down, you create a plan, and you try to follow the plan, and you need to be disciplined and yes. determined to do it. That That's the problem. I see people posting on social media and going, ah, it doesn't work. Hey, because you did it six weeks. I mean, try yeah. to do it for six months, you'll see a little bit difference. Oh, yeah, it's it's so amazing because I, I've learned throughout my life like the pow the power of consistency, right? Like uh, I, I started jujitsu, for example, like a year ago. I sucked. I was the worst. I, I was getting choked out, but I just kept going every month. And now I'm choking everybody out. That's at least in that class, right? And mm -hmm. Go against the black belts, I'll get wrecked. But it's just the power of consistency. It's just, it's just that's what it is. Mm -hmm. I agree. And it's funny. I started singing opera about a year and a half ago. And when I first started, I sounded horrible. I didn't know what I was doing, didn't have technique. I was fortunate. I speak Italian. So I was, you know, I'm singing these arias and yeah. I can I can read music. But in the very beginning, it's painful. Talk about getting up there and feeling having a complex of hearing your own voice mm -hmm. and that holding you in your tracks. But basically, like you said, every Friday, I've got a lesson this evening at five o'clock. Every Friday, I'm at that lesson. Sunday, we sing at church. Wednesdays, we got choir practice. So if you don't have that consistency, and the reason why, why was I doing this? Mm -hmm. I was holding back, did not want to do this. But my kids are like, dad, you got to do it. So it's a family thing. That's the reason why I put in the effort and the struggle. And you know, for those of you listening out there, why real estate? I mean, that's the biggest question. Uh, we can't answer that, Nathan and myself, why real estate for mm -hmm. you? We can tell you unequivocally, without a doubt, it is one of the best vehicles. It will make you wealthy. I think over 90% of the people on this, at least in the United States, I don't know about the rest of the planet, have become wealthy because of real estate. Either right. you own a business or in your real estate, or if you're a real gangster, you have a real estate that is all about business. I mean, that is, <laughs> that, that's the true thing because we're going to talk a little bit about multifamily today. And mm -hmm. people who are in the single family space are like, I want to get into multifamily. And I don't know if they understand the true power of buying a few multifamily buildings and then all of a sudden saying to yourself, I can scale this. I can hire right. people to help me. I can start diversifying. I can start raising capital. I can get into different areas of the business. And then all of a sudden your investment becomes a business and then you've got multiple streams going on. Is that is that what happened with you? Did you just kind of get into it little by little and then you're like, well, why don't I make this into a business? And well, it's the pizza guy and the drug rep. I mean, that's basically Jake and I started back out in 2011. And people may say it was lucky. Hey, there were deals back then. I mean, Crap was sitting on LoopNet for two years. And there's a reason why. Yeah. No one had money. I mean, mm -hmm. GDP was 1%. We were in a big recession. There was no appetite for investing. And you're going out there. If you could raise money and you had the stomach to say, I'm going to buy these deals, go ahead, do it. And it took us 18 months to find that first deal. And for us, it was just calling brokers up, getting constant rejection, and understanding that you are the salesperson. You're trying to actually sell the broker to show you that listing. You're actually mm -hmm. trying to sell the community bank to give you the financing. You're trying 
trying to sell your investors why they need to give you the money for this deal. And once we realized that, I was like, okay, game on. I understand this. And for me, I had a little luck. I had started years, years back on a fourplex with my brother up in New York and met Jake through the restaurant. He was a pharmaceutical rep. He saw the writing on the wall like it is now. All of a sudden, layoffs. Sunshine Act comes in. He's getting cut. He's like, I don't want to be doing this. I don't want to be working for, for, for the corporation where making six figures, but up in New York, six figures is really not that much. So right. he just moved to Knoxville, Tennessee back in 2011. And like I said, it really took us about 18 months to find that first deal where you where you were just speaking about having the, the consistency, the discipline. I had pain points. If you don't have any pain points in life, then you're probably not going to take action. I had enough pain points where I had, I had five kids at the time. I needed to make more money and I hated what I was doing. So I'm like, it ain't getting any better. It's only going to get worse as time goes on. What right. do I need to do? Wow. What, what what were you doing at that time that you hated? I owned the restaurant. So that's why I always call myself the pizza guy. And listen, Nathan, I've been around for a while. I bought the restaurant back in 1994. May 17th, I bought the restaurant. Uh, it was a little family place, 70C place. We, we crushed it. We made a ton of money the first 12, 15 years. And when 2008 came around, it's very similar to now with mm -hmm. the disruption in, in, in markets. You know, the economy really took hold and, and slowed down and all of a sudden, the internet and technology took over. You have all these these apps where you're delivering food. We're the mom and pop. The economy slows down. People all of a sudden think Panera is good food, so they stop coming to the restaurant because chicken parm is not healthy anymore, bro. So they're going to have a salad at Panera. So that yeah. happens. You're, you're getting Taco Bell delivered for four bucks. How can I compete with that? Things yeah. are changing. I'm like, what the hell am I doing here? You know, I'm working harder. I'm making less. How many people out there feel like that? And I'm like, it's all about me. It's my fault. I, I, I read the book, uh, Secrets of the Millionaire Mind by T. Harv Eker. Mm -hmm. And what I love about the book is it's really about responsibility. I mean, the fruits are in your roots. If you don't like your results, well, what, did, what are you doing? Wherever you are today is the accumulation of all the things you've done in your past. And that's hard to swallow because if some of us aren't where we want to be, we just have to look in the mirror and take notice of that. And I say that because the recession is coming. We know the recession is coming. How are we planning for it? There's three things that you could be doing right now. You can be working on your skills. You can be working on your habits. And you can be working on your mindset. If you're working on all three of those things, you're not only going to make it through the recession, you're going to prosper right through that recession and you're going to crush it on the coming out on the other side. But unfortunately, what most people are doing is they're on Netflix, they're getting distracted, they're hanging out, going drinking with their friends and all. Nothing wrong with that. But remember, we have choices to make. You can either choose what I said or you can choose the latter and then you'll see the results come from either one of those. Well, that's very true. So let me ask you this for people that are watching this that maybe haven't taken any action at all towards wholesaling, real estate, uh, being an agent, anything in real estate in the recession coming, right? What would your recommendation be for people like that, that uh, maybe it, we're in a situation like you and Jake back in the day where you're, you see it coming, but you don't know what to do? What would your recommendation be for this? Nathan, people? that's a great question. I could spend three hours on that question, but really to chunk it down for the individual listening to this, you know, why real estate? You have to understand what, what's it going to do for you. I can tell you wholesaling is probably one of the best, best things to do to get into real estate. It's a lower barrier to entry. You get into one of Nathan's products, you spend a few thousand bucks, you do one deal, it's paid off, but then all of a sudden you have some success and right. you can replicate that success. You got, you can do another deal, but the, the education doesn't stop there. Cause then from there, you're going to want to buy some single family homes. And then when you get into single family homes, you're like, that's a lot of work. Let me go multifamily. 
So I think just understanding what you're trying to accomplish as far as your goals, because everyone's, mm -hmm. like I said, you could be a 23 year old listening to this, someone who's 44 years old and has three kids. There is a, there's a really, really big gap into what each person's goals are. But right, right now, getting into the recession, I would say there's going to be a lot of opportunity. Select a market, choose a market right now where you want to invest, learn that market. And I think whether it's multifamily or it's single family or it's wholesaling, I think real estate is really a team sport. You mm -hmm. need to have vendors out there. You need to know real estate brokers. You need to know lenders, title companies, uh, CPAs, attorneys. Go out there and start selecting the market. Learn the market that you're in and then understand what strategy you want to choose. Starting off with wholesaling is great. Buying single family homes is great. Short term rentals are great. Self storage is great. Just pick one of them and become a master of that. That's awesome. So you you um you're you're investing right now. Do you have a market that you'd recommend that's uh for people that are maybe having to pick one? That's awesome. Great. I mean, great question. For us, it's the southeast. And this is not a political statement. I just want to stay away from any of the states that are blue, mm. Illinois. New York, California for, I think, two reasons. Number one, the population decline is pretty stark. And not only the decline in the population, the people who are leaving are wealthy. And those are going to be the people who are renting your apartments and driving revenue for the state. That's a big thing. We don't want population loss and job loss. Number one. Number two, the, the, landlord, the landlord laws. I, I don't want to be burdened by rent control, You know, something that's placed in there to be able to control rents when in fact it does the complete opposite of it. So I don't want any kind of state regulations or any of that. So I'd rather be in more, more I guess, landlord-friendly states and states that are attracting the population. So Florida, Texas, Tennessee, South Carolina, yeah. North Carolina. I mean, Phoenix is still booming out there. There's some states in the Midwest. And I think one that's under the radar, a couple under the radar, Kansas City, phenomenal market. You got the World Cup going there. They're building out that airport. I mean, I shouldn't be saying it, but if you're <laughs> around there, it's it's the Knoxville of the 2015 and 16. It has not wow. emerged. And I'm telling you, people living in that market are like, Gino, you're crazy. These prices are crazy. It's like Indianapolis five years ago. Back, back five, six years ago, Indies was at eight, nine caps. Then all of a sudden, people saw the value. They're like, I got to get to Indy. It's Kansas City is the same exact thing. And I think other markets like Omaha, I think Omaha, Nebraska is another great market. Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. These are markets that have still the ability to raise rents and there's still a run up in, in valuations. You're not at three and four caps, but you still have population growth. You still have jobs growing. And for the most part, the government is pretty good there. They're pretty good with their landlord laws. So I think those three markets right there warrant a look for a lot of your listeners. So I'm curious with the the regulations that you're talking about in the blue states, do you feel like uh, th those are maybe easier to find deals now because a lot of people are avoiding those? It could, but just understand that if you're in New York and they're going to pass laws that you can't evict people, it's very difficult. I have an I own a couple of properties in New York and I left five years ago. Mm -hmm. And when we left, I had a uh, laundromat building up there. My attorney basically told me he's an eviction attorney. He has a property in Schenectady, New York. He's got a tenant who hasn't been paying for the last 12 months. He doesn't want to go through the eviction process. It's a nightmare up there. So if you're buying and you're in a business where your job is to collect rent and you can't collect rent and evict an, a tenant, you really you either know one of two things. You need to get the price at a material discount or you need to write that into your business plan and say, every time I need to evict somebody, I'm going to lose at least six months worth of rent and I'm going to actually have to pay an attorney to get that person out of there. So understand that that's the model. And I think you may be right. If it's your backyard and you can you, you can control it, I would absolutely say stay in that market. But if you're, let's say, living in Ohio and going, I'm going to go to New York, 
I probably would skip that. But if you're in New York yourself or you're in California and you're doing business there and it's your backyard, I would absolutely take a look at it. But I'm not going there if I'm not living there. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. And I'm curious of like how they even how their mindset of the lawmakers have come to this point where they don't let you evict people aren't paying to stay in your place. Like, do you know much about that? Like of of how that even came to pass, like that that's even a good idea when we get into politics. What's the job? Number one job of a politician. Stay in office, like to okay. keep your job. <laughs> so how do you do that? You do that by talking to the masses. Mm. And how do you talk to the masses? By like, being by playing the victimhood. Yeah. Most of the people listening to the show and listening to the podcast on entrepreneurship and entre business would think that's the stupidest thing in the world. If somebody's not paying, yeah. you get them out. But for people who are trying to get elected and trying to play on fear and sympathy, well, those dirty landlords, I can't believe they're raising rents. Well, do you mm. see what happened to a you know, a dozen eggs, six bucks, you go to Starbucks, it's five bucks for a cappuccino. Really? No one's complaining about that. But if rent goes up, they're complaining. So I think that that's what drives it. And I'm not saying it's good or bad. But as a business owner, as someone who's buying an investment property, you're buying a future stream of revenue. Right. And if you're living in New York, is it more likely and more difficult or more difficult to collect that future stream of revenue than it is per se, in Nashville, Tennessee. I think it's a lot safer and a lot less risk in a city like Nashville than it is in a city like New York City. So that's how you have to look at it through that lens where you're investing in, in real estate. Wow. that's I appreciate that answer. That was really good because I've always thought like, why? why is, it doesn't make sense, but you're right. If, if you're appealing to the masses, then that, that sounds good to the masses that don't want to work right or don't want to take it <laughs> well, they're not listening to this show because yeah they're not about blaming responsibility listen it's amazing how you know the government can create a problem and they can come solve the problem like the mm-hmm. 2008 debt crisis they created the debt crisis then they solved the problem with the bailouts i mean mm-hmm. it's it's genius if you think about it well they you know covid created the problem with covid let's have the problem let's pump all this money into the system that was the solution well there's another problem now with inflation and we've had inflation for the last couple so let's try to solve the inflation problem let's raise interest rates and really raise them really too quickly to give a shock to the system and that's the problem so solve is problem and solve the problem problem and solve the problem sounds like they're creating all the problems yeah sounds (laughs) like they are they they are the problem but let's step back and say once again Nathan and Gino cannot control that. Let's just understand that Nathan and Gino can see history and can see the patterns. And how do we take advantage of that as an investor? And I would say right now we have market cycles, but I think more importantly, we have what's called an interest rate cycle. So Mm -hmm. as they've been raising interest rates, what happens is the economy slows down. What they're trying to do is they're trying to slow the economy down so they can control inflation. Inflation is actually an increase in the supply of money. The cause effect of that is rising prices. So they understand that. So how do you get prices under control? You raise interest rates. You try to slow down the growth of the economy. Once you do that, all of a sudden things start slowing down. I'm selling less. You're looking at used cars. They're down massively. Tesla just cut 20% on their pricing. Why? Because Elon's going to give shit away? I don't Mm -hmm. think so. Elon's not selling cars and a lot of other stuff. So things are starting to reset. It's great. We can start hiring people again. And I think follow the pattern. You get to a certain point where they're going to have to stop raising rates because all of a sudden the economy is crashing or it's in a deep recession. Mm -hmm. And recessions are lasting shorter because of politics, because politicians need to get reelected. And there's another, there's an election coming in 2024. So by 2024, March, April, May of next year, rates will be dropping again. The economy mm-hmm. will be picking up. 
So the question is, what are you doing as a listener out there right now? Are you preparing for the opportunities that we're seeing in this market right now? And we're going to see for the next 18 months. If you aren't, now is the time to get into real estate because everyone out there that I've spoken to, we have the education for the last four years has been complaining to me, Gino, there's no deals. We're at a, we're at a high 2019, 2020, 2021. I know we're at a high, but now what's the excuse? The high is past this. Well, mm -hmm. now we're going into recession. You can't have it both ways. You know, right. the only time you can get into real estate is when you're ready and there's right. never a good time. You can always buy real estate. You can't always sell real estate, but you can always buy real estate. You just need to know what strategy to buy. So with you buying, we talked about a, your $9 million uh, complex right you bought uh, mm -hmm. something nine million are you um are you using bank funding for that uh or are you uh raising the money and then refining to refinancing out of it in the future the deal came to us literally from the seller walking into our office and saying I want to sell. And the reason why he came to us was the property was next door to one of our properties. He had a broker who wanted to charge him an astronomical price for the deal. I mean, the broker fees was ridiculous. So he had a number in his head. He said, I want to sell for this. So we knew right away, it was right next door to our properties, 128 units. They were renting for an average of 700 bucks. Ours right next door is an average of 1100 bucks. Doesn't take a genius to figure out that this guy's leaving about $400 a month per unit on the table of value. And wow. the, tr the true mom and pop, and you've dealt with wholesalers before, people told, they don't know the value, number one. They want to keep everything under the, under the wraps. They don't want their tenants to know. They don't want their partners to know. They don't want their employees to know. So he's like, make it as painless as possible for me. And we did painless. that. Painless. <laughs> and it's not, and you have to understand, people don't always want the highest price. They want what they want. They want so many different things. This guy didn't want max price. He wanted an easy deal. He didn't want any problems. He, he, had, he had some some illness come out as we were doing a deal. He got better while we did it. But there's a lot of motivations. And you as an investor has to know how to create the value for that deal. Creating the value for that deal was executing for the guy, making it easy for him, and getting the deal done in like 45 days. And as far as us, we used to syndicate properties. We raised money for a lot of our deals. The last seven or eight deals, we've just continued to buy internally. So it's me and my my partner Jake and another partner, and we've opened up. We opened up 15% of this deal to our to our employees. So our employees invested in this deal as well. So it's it's awesome. We use seller financing on the deal as well. The guy comes in and goes, "I want to sell the deal. You guys want to do seller financing?" We said, "Why not?" Of course, of so five percent. So it's a fifteen percent money out of pocket for us, and five percent is a seller finance note. We didn't even ask for it. That's the other opportunity right now because these deals, I think, is going forward. They're going to be harder to finance. Banks, when banks start seeing the recession coming on, we we say banks are like the circulatory engine of the economy. As I banks start bank pulling back and loan to values start getting higher or lower, you have to start putting more money down. Their criteria is getting more more difficult. All of a sudden, it becomes harder to finance these deals. So your seller financing in the next 12 to 18 months is going to be a huge opportunity. Wow. That's amazing. That's all amazing information. I appreciate you sharing that. So with this deal, this guy came in, uh, no prior uh, com communication with him. He just randomly, uh, because he saw yours, he came in or did you, did you chat before? Have you talked? Yeah, Nathan, we, when we bought our third property, Jake and myself in 2014, it was 136 units. Uh, we had bought a 25 unit, that first deal in 2013, three months later, we had bought a 36 unit. Six months after that was our third deal. We finally 
met our partner, Mike. He had the balance sheet. He was able to lend us some money. We scraped every dollar we could. We actually had a five, we had a, one, of, one of the broker's note. We actually had a seller's finance note for the broker's commission. I mean, we did everything we could to get this deal. And the guy next door to this property is the same seller from 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. He met us. Rents were at 450. We went to 595 right away. This guy, Ed, loved us. He's like, guys, I don't have to do any work to my property. I, you guys raise rents. I'm raising rents too. So yeah. he saw that and it was just in the market. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, through the years, you build a reputation. People talk. I mean, that's why just be careful for your reputation, your brand, because that is everything, especially yeah. if you're young out there. Don't cut corners. Don't be a conniver. Don't rip people off. Do what you're saying and say what you do. And then one year, one day, somebody's going to walk into your office and go, here, I want to sell at this price. And you're going to go, how did that happen? Happen. It happened because people know that you can execute, that you can close, and that you can say what you, you know, whatever you're saying you're going to do, you're actually going to do it. And that's really, I mean, sorry, it's not really sexy to be honest with you. He yeah. saw that over those years we had our properties, and literally his property is right next door to ours. His rents are seven hundred dollars for two bedrooms. Mm -hmm. Ours are eleven ninety five. Do you wow. think that mom and pop ever went? next door and said, how are you guys achieving 1195? He was happy with 700 bucks. He was making money. He had no debt on these things. He built these things himself. So he has a different business plan, different mindset. And for us, huge opportunity. That is amazing. That's awesome. So yeah, again, the consistency thing that we talked about, it was through your consistent action. He saw that over the years. And then, you know, it's probably a decision that he, uh, he didn't even have to think about. If he knew to sell mm -hmm. it and this broker had all these fees, he's like, well, I know who I need to go to. I got to That's Gino right. and Jake. Those are the guys. That's right. Right. And you got to remember as brokers, brokers have a tough job because they have to actually sell the seller on a price. They've got to sell the buyer to buy it. They've got to create marketing packages. They've got to do property tours. And this seller is going to be like, oh my gosh, another, I got to show this property again. I got all these renters breaking my chops. I don't want to deal with any of that. Let me show it to one person that I know that I'll execute. And that one person happened to be us. Do you find a lot of deals that way that uh, like maybe get the uh, sellers get approached by brokers and they're like, I don't want to deal with that, but they know about you, you guys. Does that happen a lot? Or is it's, that just one off? It hasn't happened as much in the, in the, in the last two to three years of the market cycle, because you have to remember when you're in a seller's market cycle, they know what they got. They, they can go and go to market and put a crappy property on market and get asking. What I've seen in the last six months is brokers are starting to cold call us and they're starting to actually, you know, send us emails and they're starting to say, hey, do you want to come look at this property? Because the demand isn't there like it was six months ago. Rents rising. People don't understand when, when rents go, I'm sorry, when interest rates rise from three and a half, four percent to 6%, that prices out a lot of deals. The cost of capital has gone up tremendously. And I think sellers haven't really grasped that. Brokers understand that. And brokers mm -hmm. are like, your property is over, overpriced. And sellers are like, well, I remember how what it was six months ago. And we're not where we were six months ago. And right. I think right now, as that opportunity comes, get yourself out there. Go to the meetups. Talk to the brokers. Because a lot of these sellers, when they come to the realization that, yeah, they need to sell, you're going to be there to be able to have that conversation with them. Because they're not going to be able to go on LoopNet or Crexy and throw their property out there and get 15 people calling them, asking them for that deal. That's not going to happen, right? especially at these prices. And the kiss of death is these sellers who don't understand that they put a property in the market for $2 million. That's really worth 1.2. They keep it there for six months. And then they're like, oh man, I got to sell this property. Then they get desperate. Then they drop the price. So beware of that also. That's going to happen. That That's that's. It's an inevitability because going from a seller's market to a buyer's market, it's just like history. Going from the 2005-06 era to 2009-10, we're seeing that happen right now. That's happening right now. 
as we speak. Wow. That's awesome. I, I think that, that all this information that you're giving out is, is uh, you know, you're super knowledgeable <laughs> about this stuff. Is it, do you feel like for someone that's brand new, let's just say like a lot of the newer investors that watch this show, they go into single family, right? That's where they start. Mm -hmm. Do you mm -hmm. think it's, it's that much of a difference if someone's like, hey, forget the single family route. Let me just go right into finding deals for uh, investors like you, right? Off market, a multifamily, big units, do you feel like that's a too big of a jump for someone to do? Or do you feel like that's some people could start off with? That's a challenging question. I, for me, it's all about mind belief. Mm -hmm. If you can believe you can do something, then there's nothing holding you back and you're willing to put in the work, then you can do it. I, I was just interviewing a student this morning. Uh, mm -hmm. We had, and we had toured his properties last week in Dallas. Daniel joined the community back in 2018. He had five units. And what Daniel realized was that he had to provide value for somebody. And he was asking people, what's your pain point in multifamily? What's your pain point in multifamily? I can name two right off the top, deal flow and property management and asset management. Mm -hmm. So Daniel's like, I'm going to be a property manager. I'm going to start my own property management company. And I'm going to ma asset manage as well. He did his first deal. It was 160 units. He was 31 years old when he did the deal. Wow. He syndicated, raised capital, and he partnered up with people. If you're willing to do that, to actually step out your comfort zone and provide tremendous value for people, then I say you do that. I would challenge all the wholesalers out there. If you're finding small multifamily deals, instead of wholesaling them, Try to find a partner who's got capital. Say, hey, instead of charging me a fee, give me 10% equity in this deal. If you can do one or two of those a year, in four or five years, you're going to look back and go, I've got four or five deals here. When they refi out, I'll get all my capital back, but I'll still own the deal. And it's very challenging because I know a twenty dollars or $30,000 payday can change somebody's life drastically. But the hardest thing to creating wealth is those transactions, they pay the bills. It's just equity is what makes you rich. I mean, remember Jeff Bezos when he started out in 96 or 97 with Amazon? on how many years did it take him before he actually had a paycheck night years of working yeah. and then one day all of a sudden all that equity bam it hits and i think for those of you out there that are starting if you're starting in wholesaling it's a great place to start you'll understand the real estate you'll understand how transactions work you'll understand all of the different functions all the different duties and if you're telling yourself i i can't you know, I can't do a multifamily, do a house hack, you know, do a burr, buy a duplex, live in one side, rent out the other, buy a triplex with another partner and try to try to work that out. Cause like I said, I started, I bought a fourplex early on with my brother. And that was one of the best things that I ever did because I sold the business. I managed the property myself. So I got, I got to understand the whole property management side. We actually refied the deal a couple of times. So I understood the finance side of it. And it was just a great way for us to start. So for, for anybody out there, I like the wholesaling. I just never yeah. got into it, Nathan, because I was working full time in the restaurant. I probably would have started with a single family, but I already had the job. I was already working 50 hours a week. I'm like, let me see if I can buy something with you know multiple units in one area. It'll be easier for me to manage. It'll be easier for me to take care of as opposed to doing these ones at a time. Yeah, and I believe that wholesaling is a job. It's very active income. You have to be consistently mm -hmm. doing it. So you, you are pretty much replacing anything else you do with a job. But it sounds yeah. like uh, with the path, the investing that you do, it, it truly is passive, right? Like, cause you, you find the properties, you, uh, you put the management in place and that's what everybody wants. Eventually. I think every wholesaler does not get into real estate because they want a, a job wholesaling. They, they want to get into what you do, right? Mm -hmm. What you, yes. you're talking about. So I had an opportunity like that. I had an apex that I was going to, uh, have, uh, 
uh, ownership in, but because of the interest rates, it freaking priced us out. And the person I was working with and most of us, but we found a buyer who uh, wanted to buy it and he just needed to place his money to, for tax purposes before the end of the last year. So that was one I was going to keep, but again, it didn't really make sense. So if someone that bought it didn't really buy it where it made sense. He just had to place his money. Well, it's Nathan, you make a, bring up a great point. And this is one of the things that has frustrated me for so many years until I understood that that person had a different set or a different ideal for what a good return was for him. You know, he had capital there. He had to utilize his capital. He wasn't going there and trying to get, like, say, a 10% cash on cash return. He was probably may have been doing a 1031 and had to put that money in the deal. So he's overpaying as far as what you're doing with your underwriting. To you, you're like, you're nuts if you're buying this deal. How are you right. making it work? But for that person, maybe he had $2 million in the bank, all cash. He's making 0.2% on his money. He'd rather put it into a multifamily where he's going to get cost segregation benefits, those tax benefits. He's going to get a little bit of cash flow. He's getting a physical asset and he's getting an inflation hedge against inflation and oh by the way the residents are paying down the property and every year it's going up in value so right. really like i said what's his goals his goals is more for capital preservation your goal and my goal is for capital appreciation we want that appreciation right. so a person who's already got the money is not so concerned about getting a return they're more concerned about preserving the capital and a nice stable asset so if they take a little less on the return and they're willing to pay more that's okay and that's what happens when you're in that you fork kind of market. People keep bidding up assets and keep bidding up assets and keep bidding up assets at a certain level. When, when that level hits, and I think it's already hit, that demand starts going down. And all of a sudden you have more supply on the market and prices start readjusting. So would you say right now where we're going to be for the next year, year and a half until before the elections, you believe that uh, this is the perfect time to get real estate now? Uh, is that, is I, that right? Yes, I always think it is. And I, I made the comment, you, you know, you can always buy real estate. You can't always sell it. If you're trying to sell a deal right now, it's a lot harder. You, you're going to take a good haircut on a deal yeah. right now. But I think if you learn how to creatively finance a deal, if you learn how to do master lease options, seller financing, if you learn how to you know do syndications, raise capital on deals, if you know right now the strategy is to buy these assets and to hold them for a little bit longer because the market cycle has changed. So you have to understand, okay, I'm not buying a deal today and flipping it out in 12 months. That That's past. That part of the cycle is past. So understanding what type of strategy you're going to use in this market cycle, you can buy you can buy deals all the time. It's just like a, a savvy stock investor. Anyone who understands the stock market makes money when stocks are going up. And they make, they make even more money when stocks are going down because they can buy puts and calls. They understand how to trade and how to be, think of it as an investment. And I think most people who get into real estate only look at it as buildings and only look at it as like landlording. But if you can pull yourself out and think of yourself as I'm buying an asset here and every single little building that I'm buying is a little cash machine. It's mm -hmm. got revenue coming in and it's got income and it's got expenses. And oh, by the way, those tax benefits are amazing. So I'm able to keep more of my own money on top of that. I mean, how many right. businesses can you do that? And then 10 years down the road, the property's depreciated, your residents have paid down your mortgage and your property is appreciated in price and you're still cash flowing every month. I mean, it's just an amazing business. No, I... I feel your love for it, and I I think it, I think everyone can tell like how much you really love real estate. That's amazing. So, do you do multi, uh, sorry single family at all, or is it all multifamily now? I've got an office down here in St. Augustine. I've got an, 
another house next door as far as cottages go. If an opportunity will present itself in the next 12 to 18 months where I can buy another home and I'll buy it all cash. I'm trying to, I have six kids. So I'm trying to stock up units down here. So when they graduate college, they want to come back. I could put them in a house rent free. So that that's that's what I love to do. And it's wow. a great, it's, like I said, it's a hedge against inflation. If you buy a house for $500,000 and you have nowhere to place the capital, I'd rather buy a home and let it sit there and get the, the tax benefits. And then if I need that, I could always pull a line of credit from that house and pull the money out and go invest in another deal. So that's where I'm in my life. I, I don't like personal debt. I love business debt. So mm -hmm. understanding how to lever my business side of my life to pay for my personal, to me, that's important. So Gino, this has been awesome. I've had a really good time chatting with you. It, what, what uh, for anyone that's really listened to this and, and enjoyed what you've had to say and, and talk about talking about multifamily, uh, what, what uh, would you like them to do? Like, do you want them to go to your website? Is there something that, yeah, some call to action that you want them to do? Because I, I know a lot of people are listening or probably want to learn more. I think there's two things. Number one, check out our social media profiles. Go to Instagram. Go to my LinkedIn page, Gino Barber. I'd love to connect with anybody on LinkedIn. I think LinkedIn is an amazing platform for business owners. I think Instagram is great for real estate. You guys can get some real great picks up there. Just go to jakeandgino.com and... As far as the podcast, we have podcasts, we have five different shows, but if you're just getting into it, you see right behind me, it says the how-to. Go to the how-to show on the YouTube channel with Jake and Gino. They're 10-minute little shows where we're talking about different topics in multifamily, whether it's market cycles, whether it's raising money, whether it's managing a property, how to buy, different markets, all that. Just go to the YouTube channel and you'll get a ton of value from those videos. Awesome. So we got a YouTube channel. Uh, the how-to YouTube channels that you yep. said? You got mm -hmm. Instagram, you say LinkedIn. Those are the mm -hmm. three places that are good good to reach you. Absolutely, yes. And how can you help out my audience uh, if they reach out to you? Are, are, are they learning to do get into multifamily? Is that what you would teach them? Yes. Yeah, so Nathan, you know what? Email me, Gino at jakeandgino.com. We wrote a book two years ago with our coach, Bill Ham on creative financing. It's called Creative Cash. And okay. we talk about the different negotiation techniques, master lease options. We talk about seller financing. We talk about the three pillars of real estate and market cycles. That resource is going to help investors for the next 12 to 24 months. It's, it's just a perfect time to read that book. I love it. That's exactly what we needed to hear. Well, I appreciate yep. your time, Gino. This has been great. I've learned a lot and I, I'm really excited just from chatting with you, like what, with all the opportunities that not only you have, that I have, that we all have in real estate. It's super exciting. Thanks, Nathan. I want you to keep bringing the pain, keep doing these shows. People need to hear this. And that's the thing right now, there is an opportunity. Don't listen to all the fear. The fear is what I think when we, when we, when we hear all the negativity, we hear the recession, all, a lot of us just freeze up. There are those out there that are getting excited about this time because all of a sudden when people start running for the exits that's when prices start dropping and that's where the opportunity presents itself we'll be ready for them won't we gino <laughs> sure will bro all right well i'll catch you later i appreciate you coming on thank you thanks nathan